Hello and welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Please follow us on social media and rate the podcast as it helps others to find us. I hope you enjoy the show. Auckland's climate plan to Tarake Atafari is an impressive and ambitious document that sets out a response to climate change that's not just about mitigation, that is emissions reductions, but also about adaptation and developing a future that's unique to this place. Sarah Anderson and Perrin Rafi Thompson have been instrumental in that plan and now the driving forces behind Climate Connect Aotearoa, an innovation hub funded by Council to accelerate Auckland's climate response. And a declaration of interest, I've worked as a paid consultant for Climate Connect Aotearoa. Perrin and Sarah, thank you for joining me on this climate business. Thank you very much for the invite. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. We're excited. Thanks for having us. So I think we should start with context, like what is this in response to? And maybe um, maybe it's right for Perrin, given that you have been working on this for, for so long now. <laughs> <laughs> T- tell us, what is Auckland committed to in terms of a climate plan? And, and then we can talk about what role does Climate Connect Aotearoa play in that plan? Sure. Um, I think I'll just go back about six years ago, actually, when I joined council, Auckland Council. There was a plan for Auckland then. It was 40% by 2040 emissions reduction. And uh, when I went to council, we just did a review of it and it was doing great, but you realise the challenge was a lot bigger than that. So we needed to look at the plan again. And luckily, um, Sarah was hired around about a year after I joined council, which was really exciting. So she brought that perspective of adaptation and resilience. And we thought we really have to look at just, it's not just about emissions, it's actually around looking at climate physical impacts and how we should combine both. And it was 2016, which, um, what was it? Which, which, one cop, which cop was it that things fully changed? I think it was at Paris. And um, the world basically agreed on two degrees warming. And we said, oh, God, that's not enough. It has to be 1.5. And we were part of C40 cities. So all these kind of elements coming together. Mm. Sarah, the big force joining Auckland Council, (laughs) bringing kind of European perspective and Paris happening and the big commitments coming out of the uh, world leaders meetings. And... um, Auckland committed to the same. We said we review this. We should really commit to uh, net zero emissions by 2050. And at the same time, we really need to do that path towards being more resilient because we are already experiencing the climate um, physical impacts. And so that's Auckland, a bit of context. Yeah, good context. Thank you. Had Auckland already committed to be declaring an emergency, a climate emergency? No, they hadn't. So we started working on the plan prior to that. And it's, it is quite bureaucratic. So we had to kind of go back to councillors, do a quite a few... It's very diplomatic. Uh, very you. diplomatic. And ha- had to go back saying this plan is not enough. We've reviewed. We need to do a new plan. I don't know if Sarah remember we did that a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. And I think when it came to the climate emergency, what gave some of the comfort was the plan was already well on its way. Uh So we'd already essentially developed the bulk of the plan. And then which I think gave the councillors a bit more comfort. Uh And also everything was happening around the same time, like the school strike for climate, people on the streets in Tamaki Makoto, and all of that kind of wrapped into the same time. So that when we declared, when council declared the climate emergency, 
it was really kind of riding on that wave. Yeah. Yeah, I think we started kind of seriously developing the plan and engagements from towards end of 2016. 2017 yeah. was the majority of it. And that's when I had my little Aria, second baby, and I hurried back to work because I was really excited. <laughs> I remember these guys, the team came to visit me when I had a little baby. Not to and work. Not to, to work, to but I still couldn't help myself. <laughs> yeah. So mid-2017, I remember it was really speeding up the engagements and um, going to local boards. And gosh, it was quite a busy period, wasn't it, developing yeah. the plan? Well, it was such an achievement. I mean, first there was the Auckland Climate Plan, which... Uh, then um, morphed into what we have now, Tarake um, Atafari. Um, I've got the pronunciation right, so Sarah, you can correct me, please. <laughs> it's pretty close, Tarake Atafari. Right. Hopefully, I'm right. Or yeah, no, you, you do it very well. For a recent <laughs> arrival, your, um, your pronunciation is excellent. But the, that plan is yes. now Auckland's climate plan, yes. and. Would it be too hard for you to to summarise that plan for us? Oh, you. Yeah. <laughs> we agreed. If I give her a look, then she will um, respond. Stephen, she's Stephen. Yeah. It's like what's that dog? The bell. Anyway, yeah. Um, so yeah, so Tataraki Atafiti. Uh, it's hard to do it in a nutshell, really, because we basically, as parents, we really took a broader lens across climate and what needs to happen across the region. So it's got kind of three foundational elements, which are obviously reducing our emissions, preparing for climate change, which people talk about as adaptation, but also really foundational to it has been that Te Māori lens across the whole plan. Like what is our Tāmaki Makoto distinct response? What makes us different and what is foundational for our principles and values Mm. that support that? So that's kind of the foundational part of the plan. And then on top of that, there's the eight key priority areas. And I have to admit, it was a while ago now, so I might not be able to wheel them all off. Please look, climateakl.co.nz. But there's kind of eight priority action areas within it as well. And all of them look at adaptation. They look at mitigation. And they also consider that Te Māori principles and values Mm. for what we need to do. So I can really offset, like, there's there's the ones you'd expect. There's transport, there's built environment, there's food. Um, I've dug myself a hole that I'm going to continue digging. Economy. <coughs> Economy, obviously, which is the one that we're working on. Um, oh, I'm going to get we're in trouble for getting Anyway. Ones. We're up to four. Yeah. We're up to four. But then there is also one um, specifically Māori-led, which is Tapua Waitanga or Tatatai. And that's values-based, which cuts across all of the rest of them. As well, would you say that that plan is unusual, and that have, have other cities made similar kind of plans with that level of ambition, but also that level of commitment? I'd say, in terms of that ambition, we because we were committed to see forty cities, we were guided by their principles as what we had to do. But yeah. having the Tiao Māori lens, no other city's done it with the indigenous perspective. Mm. So that's the uniqueness of, our, of Auckland's plan. Mm. Mm. And I should say that part of it was led by what was the Mana Whenua Kaitiaki Forum at that time. So they mm. really held the pen mm. on that part. And it was great to kind of work in partnership mm. in developing it. There's a lot of back and forth. And we did have a Rangatahi intentional mm. and Rangatahi chapter as well. And it was their decision, the group that... All of those chapters, it's, it's kind of cross-cutting and it's about the future. Mm. So they, I think they decided that there was no need for a separate chapter 
as well from mm. from memory. Mm. Uh, yeah. Uh, in terms of mitigation, mitigation does attract a lot more attention, perhaps because it's maybe the thing we can get most excited about actioning. Uh, so that is reducing our emissions. What are the targets to 2030? 50% emissions reduction. And I, I'd say that's a huge challenge, especially we've been kind of sitting on it for the past, since we committed 2019. Mm. And I don't know how we're going to achieve it by 2030. We really hope Climate Connect's going to support that. But um, then it comes for, for Auckland. The biggest challenge is transport. And it's, um, what is it, around 40% of our emissions sits with transport? Mm. 43. For, 43 now, which is significant. And then we've got energy, the bigger, after that, energy is the biggest one as well. So those two areas are quite key for us in mm. terms of emissions, actually seeing the numbers change. Um, there is a plan for transport as well, TERP, which is Transport Emission Reduction Pathway. Pathway, isn't it? And that's they plan to reduce emissions. The target is 64% by 2030. That's significant. We need systems change around that. I don't think the way we're going right now, we're going to achieve that. Mm. And that systems change is complicated, isn't it? Because it involves so many parties. You've got infrastructure mm. parties. You've got um, citizens making decisions about their daily commute. Mm -hmm. There's uh, public transport. Oh, my goodness. Perhaps we could wade into that at some point. Um, but then your role as Climate Connect Aotearoa is, is what? It's a dot joining, it's an agitator, are you a protest group? <laughs> what, what, what's your role, Sarah, in helping achieve that quite big target? Yeah, yeah, so I think it's that's a good kind of introduction as to the challenge. There's a lot of different players who are involved, and particularly when we're talking about that system change. It's, so thinking transport space, there's obviously, there's policy change needed. There's regulation, there's behaviour change. There's intergenerational equity as to how we invest, why we invest. And also just that kind of health and well-being aspect of people shifting how they move about. So the amount of different voices that need to be in a room to talk about what we want for our future and how we want to work together to deliver it. And so that's basically what we're talking about within Climate Connect Aotearoa. It's who are all of those voices, who are all of the players who need to get in a room together to really identify what are the key challenges, what are the key demands mm. we need to get behind, and then just really get behind them and you're try almost, and accelerate. You're like a broker in some way. You're kind of broking solutions? Yes. Yeah, there's a certain degree of that. It's very much, yeah, brokering, facilitating, bringing people together. And I think our unique role from a council and Tartaki Auckland Unlimited perspective is because of the plan, we have this kind of helicopter view yeah. of what the key issues are right. across our region. And so we bring that to the table and also the networks that local government can bring both within our communities through to central government, through to business, obviously Tartaki, very much having that lens. So, yeah, it is. It's the kind of bringing people together. And I think we also have a role in we've absorbed so much knowledge and so much data and information, how do we get that out to people mm. as well? So there's also that role as well, that kind of building capacity and sharing. The origins of this have come out of the work that you've done, obviously, in writing 
uh, but also your involvement in economic development uh, through Tataki Un- Unlimited, uh, yes. Auckland Unlimited, right? Yeah. So um, you've always had this sort of commercial interface or, mm-hmm. you know, much more kind of action orientated rather than policy. Would that be a fair? Y- yes, I think that's the difference between Auckland Council, where we came from, where I was sitting there with Tataraki Atafari, is we are in the policy office. And we did work, just want to acknowledge, we did work with people on the ground to see what it means, the plan, because you can't just create policies and strategies in isolation. Yeah. But moving to AT at the time, it was, uh, moved AT, to AT, right. which is yeah. about three years ago now, pre-merger of RFA and AT, the focus was economic development purely. And I had, we had conversations with AT and it felt like a good home for having that hub, a climate hub that brings people together. And knowing that um, ATD used to work with businesses, and we still do TAU and um, our investment and industry team, we work with businesses quite closely. Mm-hmm. TAU was Tataki Auckland Unlimited. Tataki Auckland Unlimited. Um, oh, we so love sort acronyms. Of acronyms <laughs> yes. So late, we're going to drop in CCA, Climate Connect Aotearoa, <laughs> just to make it all rounded. But um, it was a really good place for it. And businesses, a lot of businesses we work with, they trust Tataki. And um, so we started doing the work. I moved to AT. Sarah was still at council and then moving to MFE. So it was great in terms of having those connections with council. And um, working with council to make sure this initiative is going to happen. And um, in terms of getting funding from council and knowing that, I think it, was it um, COVID happened around the same time as funding was being allocated as well? So I wasn't having much hope there, but somehow we had convinced the councillors and also council that this is a really important initiative in terms of playing that role of connector, bringing people together, not recreating what people have done in New Zealand, but bringing those forces together and learning from overseas. Because mm. we looked at a lot of examples overseas as well. When we were developing a plan, Tataraki Atafari, we looked at other plans and also other hubs, innovation hubs, how successful they were because it was around collaboration, bringing different players in the same room, using innovation as a accelerator to solve our uh, climate challenges. Mm-hmm. What were those other examples? Uh, we looked at Climate Kick Europe, and uh, I'd like to acknowledge Ian Short, actually. He was the ex, he's the ex-CEO of Climate Kick Europe. He helped us quite a lot in the thinking, setting up, even way pre-Conov-AT. We talked to him mm-hmm. and we continued talking to him. Uh, Climate Kick Australia, I had a couple of conversations with them there. Uh, Los Angeles Incubation Hub um, as well. We had a look at them as well. I think that that hub, which is quite humongous now, it's not. we are very small compared to mm-hmm. them. But that came out of one of the local government plans in Los Angeles, and it was bought. It was, um, I think, um, all the private sector came on board as well. Yeah. So it actually took off because mm. they could see that point of that helicopter view that councils got how we can solve problems together. Mm. Um, so we've kind of learned from them and many more. I think we've got a whole bunch of lists that we reviewed this base analysis mm-hmm. as well. Sarah, could you give us an example of? the kind of impact, the role that you could do to, to get a result? Oh, we're just, we're kind of starting out at this point, but I think it's, we've talked a bit around demand-led challenges. 
So one thing that came out from all of the research and all of the discussions and all of the various workshops has been we're quite, well, there's lots of really great solutions and solutions come up all the time, but without the right pathway to scale them or without the right connection to a real demand and a real need, they can sometimes fizzle out, which obviously is not where we would want to be. We need to be able to kind of accelerate across the board. Mm. So one of the areas we're really keen on focusing on is being very clear on what are the specific challenges and the specific issues and who are the partners who can support solutions to them. Mm. So I think that's the bit where we've learned a lot from other examples mm-hmm. and other experiences is to spend a bit more time up front. Obviously, we've got a huge amount of data. Yeah. We're not talking years. We're talking just spending like a couple of months up front to get the right partners in the room and committed to be able to support solutions as they come through. Yeah. So our first primary focus is energy. So we've got four key areas that we're focusing on at the moment, which are energy, food, built environment and transport. And we're going to kick off with energy because we've got a partnership in place with RRK. And we've had the wonderful Bryony Bennett come and join our team from RRK to really take that forward and identify what are those key energy areas we want to work on. What is RRK? RRK. So they're an energy centre that was set up by government in uh, Taranaki, recognising the obvious change to the workforce there, but they're a national energy centre and they have similar goals to us in the innovation and really accelerating action. Uh, And I'm not going to commit you to um, your first challenge because I know you're still doing (laughs) the research phase, but just give us and paint a picture of what the kind of thing that you could be doing. Well, I'm going to let to power in as well, but um, as she has more knowledge and expertise in the energy space. But one thing that we're really conscious of within Climate Connect Aotearoa is very much the equity lens mm-hmm. and um, how we consider intergenerational impacts and how we consider resilience as well. Like you said, mitigation is obviously a key focus for people, but we really want to look across the board. So some of the areas we're really interested in are things such as energy security, energy sharing might be areas that we look into as well, how we reduce reliance on centralised systems and kind of ensure we're supporting those who are more in energy poverty than others and how people can support each other. So that might be areas we're thinking about. And obviously process heat powering can talk more than me on that yeah. is another kind of key well, area. Well, let's come back to the process, but let, let's talk about that energy security. So that's a, a good example of where there isn't a, a single stakeholder that owns the problem. Is that kind of the, what yeah. you're talking about, right? So you've got communities, you've got um, consumers, but also people perhaps who are outside of the usual consumer set because they might be in energy hardship. I suppose you've got regulators, you've got lines companies, you've got retailers, you've got alternative providers who might be interested in solar or other. And and so is your role to look at that ecosystem and say, well, here's the gnarly problem. Not not one of you has the solution. There's not a sort of easy commercial solution to this or Mm -hmm. a regulation that will fix it. Is is that kind of what you're describing? Beautifully done. Yes. Should be in the comms (laughs) business. Yes, essentially that's exactly it. We really want to kind of get into those issues that require multiple players across different sectors to really get to the nub of the issue. Mm. 
There are lots of these kind of nested problems, aren't there? Like I, I, in this podcast, I often come back to cycling just because it's top of mind because I cycle to the studio and I cycle everywhere. And the solutions to mode shift are difficult, aren't they? They're, they're concrete issues because someone's got to build cycleways. They're um, behavioural issues. They're, where do you lock your bike up? I drag it into the office, you know, and I don't, mm-hmm. I'm sure they don't appreciate me parking the bike in the office. But these problems require people like you. Is that, mm-hmm. That's kind of the thinking, isn't it? To knock some heads together. And So I suppose my, this is a long way of asking, how do you get that change then? Because you don't have a stick. You, you, don't, you can't waive any regulation. I don't think you can. Can you, parent? No. So how do you overcome all these vested interests and even if there's willingness to getting over the status quo? That's a really hard question. Um, I, I think it's the way we tell the story as, as part of it. And I'm looking to Sarah to jump in to come <laughs> add to it. But for us, a lot of people we bring together, they do want to make that change, but they don't have the full picture. Mm. So once we can paint that full picture and having the right players together, then they can see it can be solved. And as I remember, we had these questions asked um, at council from us. Why do you think we should do this for Auckland? And it's not, Tatariki Atafari is not like compulsory. It's just we, you know, it's, it's a direction for council and for Auckland. But it is um, our role because we play that role of knowing who's who, knowing what challenge, what challenge and who we should bring. That's why we can solve the problem together. But part of the hope, I'd, I'd say I'm not articulating really well enough, um, a lot of smaller players we talk to, they can't see the big picture or they don't have access to that big mm. players or the big picture. Mm. It's something we can do and we bring that hope mm-hmm. to the room, I reckon. Mm-hmm. But I think that's, that's how we can solve some of the problems, not all of them. Um, and there are some levers we can pull. I think you were going to go into that as well mm. in terms of council and also, I don't know about Tataki, but Auckland Transport and Watercare that we could create, start creating change. But well, what no. are those levers then? I think there's... <laughs> I was just going to build on what parents said. Like, I, I do have quite a lot of hope at the moment. I think we are seeing accelerated change across the board in policy and more broadly. I think people do want to take action now, but don't necessarily know how or what to do. And you see that in a lot of like the surveys we do as council or the surveys that we do as government are what are people's attitudes to climate change? People care. They just don't necessarily know what to do. Mm. And I think that's some of where we can come in as well. But I think the levers exist or a number of the levers exist, and they're increasing all the time. We have the Emissions Reduction Plan now, the National Emissions Reduction Plan. We have the National Adaptation Plan in place as well. And we've got further central government reforms coming down the line as well, which will have a huge impact, and climate change is going to be written all over those. So I think those levers do exist, and I think the levers also exist from kind of ground-up as well, like I said, people do care, mm. and particularly the youth care. When we see the school strikes for climate, 
uh, Gen Zero, all of these broader and the Rangasahi work. So I feel like it's kind of coming in at us on all sides now. So I feel like, yeah, I've got quite See, a bit of hope. See, that's why we've got Sarah. She's always positive <laughs> and she's got hope. It is, it is not as... Did the climate change sector, I, I changed my career to be in this area. And it's it gets tiring once in a while because especially if being a single player and you're trying to take action and you don't get there, you could lose hope easily. And I think it's something we can do bring people that prove like proven solutions or acceleration of solving climate challenges it gives people hope mm. and as part of the knowledge hub that we we hope communication from climate connects perspective we could bring that hope saying others have done it we can do it as well yeah that's an interesting role isn't it that's quite a soft skill and and hard to sort of put a KPI against yeah. but actually plays a really important role of of encouragement networking peer to peer friendship in, mm. in a sector that's emerging. Yes. There aren't the natural uh, kind of support mechanisms for people in these kind of change roles. I was thinking, Sarah, about as you were talking, this sort of bottom-up expectation as consumers, we, uh, a lot of us live with the guilt of the decisions we're making around plastics and transport and um, you know all the usual stuff of just being alive and being a, a modern consumer. You've got policy at a, at a kind of top end, government end and council and so on, it, it really seems like n now there's this bit, this band in the middle around tactical decision making at a systems level, mm. isn't there? About even if I want to make some choices about having, uh, uh, well, let's choose something, energy and, and a, a renewable energy. We, are the systems there to provide consumers with those easy choices? And do you see yourself in that kind of sandwich role then? You're taking policy and and aspiration and kind of making those things live or giving them, what, a process for actually execution? Yeah, absolutely. I think we, we definitely kind of sit within that space and kind of paint the picture of what it looks like when those pieces come together. Because mm. I think that's a piece we're not great at, kind of that common purpose like pulling all of these threads together into like what is the common purpose we all get behind and support so yeah I think we're definitely in that middle space of kind of pulling it all together. Have you seen from your overseas examples that you mentioned Climate Kick and uh, LACI isn't it L-A-C-I uh, are there any uh, examples there that you've you've seen that you think wow that was a really big change that they've achieved? Um, I haven't, not, not actual examples, but I know, like actual uh, project examples, but talking to um, Lacey Australia, I just know they started from two people. And knowing where Australia was in terms of political, in terms of mm. the central government, mm. um, the states want to change. And they started from two people. And that Climate Kick Australia is actually quite a big organisation because the demand was there and they saw a really important role for that middle player at the sandwich role to bring people together and solve some of the problems they've got. So that when I talked to them, it was around four years ago, it gave me quite a bit of hope. And I thought, we're starting small, but once we start solving one problem at a time, that's why we're choosing energy to start with. 
and we might have like multiple challenges there, but let's get some runs on the board and then people see the value to actually follow the same path as Australia, uh, Climate Kick Australia. I'd say I wouldn't probably quite use the examples of Climate Kick Europe and Lacey. They are huge and significant. You're talking billion dollar programs and like, yeah, it's just a very different scale. Yeah, but I don't think either of them started in that way. I think they kind of started off quite small, but with yeah. substantial funding behind them, in a, like much more than we had. So starting small is still relative on the grand yes. scheme of things. But I think um, in the case of things like Climate Kick EU, they managed to really demonstrate that success of kind of bringing people mm-hmm. together. And they've done a number of different challenges, thinking about urban design, thinking about cities, what they look like, and being able to think of that systems level. They had quite a bit of substantial EU funding behind them, but are now really well recognised across the EU and they've just built and built and grown and grown because they've been demonstrating impact across the way. Right. So, yeah, yeah, they're a, they're a great model yeah. to build on. Well, let's um, just think about the near future and think about what success would look like. I, I'm sure you've got in your own minds what success looks like. Um, you, you know, what does success look for you, for this organisation, for Climate Connect, but also in a bigger sense for Tamaki Makoto, you know, what what does it look like in 2030 if we got to a, <laughs> to a good 2030? <laughs> to a good 2030. I'd say um, just from my perspective, Climate Connect Aotearoa is not just owned by Tataki Auckland Unlimited Auckland Council. We're one of the players around the table and we have corporates, mana whenua, we've got central government, and academia, everyone around kind of part ownership of this model. And um, we are solving key problems and we can see significant problems being solved in terms of, can see a dent in emissions because it's so significant for us all, um, we actually see the dent. And I think the most important thing for me personally is having that equitable transition. How could we support that? and making sure some of these solutions that are come to um, solve our problems is going to be accessible for businesses that they don't normally have access to solutions. Mm-hmm. So they're stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's from my perspective. And it will have about 100 people working for Climate Connect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think, I think um, similar, just a really visible momentum has built and we're seeing yeah. accelerated action on the ground. Mm. So it's much more front and center. We're particularly seeing like the challenges we've pulled together. We're just seeing real impact from those, both uh, for Tamaki Makoto and also beyond. Like, what are we learning? How are we sharing it more broadly? How are we better bringing in international innovation and that side of things? So just it's, yeah, yeah, kind of for it to keep growing. And it's not necessarily seeing Climate Connect Aotearoa everywhere like I think we've all always spoken about how we want to add value to the system as a whole mm-hmm. and just really elevate everyone so it's not necessarily let's see climate connect Aotearoa it's let's see climate change action across the region really clearly and really accelerated I and mean, how we're all working together on that yeah how do you want to uh, if there are people listening to this podcast apparently there's one or two um how do they engage <laughs> and and what are you asking from people well, from individuals, it's, 
we're still, I think, like we've spoken about, we're still quite early stages, really. Yeah. So mm -hmm. we're still really, we'll have some challenges underway, but we're learning all the time. And so what we would just really love anyone who's listening, of which there are more than two, I have heard, <laughs> uh, <laughs> people to kind of just really engage with it, kind of have a look at the website. We've asked a lot of questions. So we're looking at building a knowledge hub, trying to get information out and build capacity. Mm. But we want to know what people want to know to inform that yes. work. For the demand-led challenges, we want to understand from people's perspectives, like what are you seeing in your work that you really think we need to drill in on? Yeah. And so, yeah, it's basically just, it's we are demand-led and we strongly hold to that. So right. we just want to hear what people want as well to help inform what we do. Yeah. I think one key message for me is we are not here to compete, here to collaborate. And one good term that I had this morning, um, we are doing, we are part of a panel on a Blue Green Tech Conference in December. Mm -hmm. And uh, Pam's actually hosting a panel, Pam Ford. And one of the panelists was saying the term they use is competition. And I thought that was really cool because you're still going to compete, but it's around collaborating, collaborating mm -hmm. around having those solutions that work for different businesses in different way as well. But I think that's the key message that I want to give to listeners saying it's a new organization. There are a lot of other amazing players out there mm -hmm. and we want to work with them. Yeah. So we're part of an ecosystem. You've got an amazing tool, the Kumu tool, uh, which is this ecosystem map, right? And that if, if people want to contribute to that map, uh, how do they do that? They just drop you an email. Is that the easiest way? Yeah. Yeah. And definitely just kind of go online and explore it. We've, it's, as you mentioned, it's a really great tool and it's really interactive. You can kind of zoom in and out and it's been developed in a way to help people really understand like, what is a climate innovation ecosystem? Who are the key players within it? Hmm. So it's kind of that you can immediately get information. I'll give a shout out to Craig Milliner in the team. Yes. He's our business development manager. He is the Kumu guru who has done all of that work and we hugely appreciate him for that. Um, but yeah, it's available and just there's contact details on it as well. We're starting to explore it for um, a knowledge map yes. as well, kind of recognising anyone who's new coming into this space. It's overwhelming. There is so many organisations. There's so much knowledge and information yeah. out there. Yeah. So we're exploring it so that someone can also go in and have an immediate map of I want to reduce my emissions. Who are the trusted people who do that? Thanks for joining me and uh, all the best uh, for um, the near future. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Vincent. Thanks, Thanks for, for having, having us, us <laughs> and the opportunity to talk about Climate Connect. <laughs> this Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Please follow us on social media and rate the podcast as it helps others to find us. 